This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. His name's Chris Orlowski, and he's back for a second round. And now, from the legendary Studio B, so you're in Seattle with Gregor. As handsome as he is kind, as charming as he is full of tenor tone, b- baritones, baritone tones, hmm. wearing a mustache sitting perfectly atop his smiling upper lip, he's the type of dude who sees you across the armory at Seattle Center, puts his gear down to venture over for a greeting and to meet your friends and family. It's hard to imagine keeping up with a guy as bent on making music with such conviction, a man who decided to forego the traditional press release and personally curate a package complete with handwritten notes. He's a hardworking Seattle man. He's Chris Orlowski. Exactly, so. <laughs> uh, step one. Um, <clears throat> Cut a hole in the box. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> step two. Every time somebody says step one, I'm just like, well, I automatically go there. I mean, you set that up. <laughs> there was a, a real softball there. <laughs> Good morning. Good morning. Um, first of all, how are you? You look handsome as could be. Thank you. I was just going to say the same thing about you. That actually, that, that rustic baritone voice you have right now because of the, <laughs> the season we're in is actually super sexy. Uh, it's, so. it's interesting that you mentioned the baritone part, um, because we spent a good 10 minutes today listening to you sing <laughs> to figure out if you're a tenor or a baritone. I'm a, you, I'm a baritone. Yeah. Are you? Okay. Yeah, but I, I can get into the tenor range, which w- is cool. When you speak to me, I hear baritone. I mean, we're both kind yeah. of, uh, that, especially yeah. today for me, yeah. I hear baritone. <laughs> and Zach, our, uh, another guy that works here, he's a bass. And so between Whoa. us, we're trying to figure out, we were both singing your parts, trying to be like, is he because you sing kind of higher than you uh, mm-hmm. speak sometimes. And it so, depends uh, on the song, too. Like some of the songs, um, there's this song called Always Bring Me Back off the new record, yeah. where I'm like almost whispering in a low voice. Yeah. And then there's another song um, where I'm like, uh, called falling apart where I'm singing like really high. Yeah. So it, it kind of depends on the song. I got lucky in that way. Cause I think baritone is a little bit less common. And so people don't always know like, Hey, w- what's his range because yeah. of that. It, so it's, it's actually a pretty common I, kind of We went as far as getting the YouTube video out and singing the tones <laughs> along with it. Like, cause it just keeps going out. It's like, what's the lowest note you can comfortably <sighs> sing? Why didn't you guys videotape that? G2 is what I got to. Uh, and then, uh, and then up to a G4 is my upper range. I don't have very much upper range specifically today. And so I, it yeah. was like, oh, you're a baritone, maybe pushing tenor a little bit. But then I was like, well, wait, well, how, how low does Chris go? So we listened to a bunch of stuff to find it to like, oh, and then like, so was, that's awesome. Did but, you used to sing? Back uh, when I was young, I did. My ear has significantly gone away. And so I, I sound totally deaf and it's a re- I want to get back into it though into Dude. like a um, just to save my own voice uh, speaking from a choral uh, background to be able to like work on project, my diaphragm yeah. and project so that way I don't burn out my voice as much as I do and as you can see I don't have the best uh, what is it called when you posture just, posture uh, thank you yeah and then but there's another word for it it's called uh, yeah I don't know what it is I'm just blanking I didn't drink enough coffee this morning get after it oh. got an interview to do <laughs> So you didn't grow up in Seattle proper. You grew up kind of on the outside looking in. What was your, 
the city mean to you as a kid, if anything? I mean, we're, if it was even on your map. Oh, Seattle was just this big, ominous, um, I guess this big, ominous place that I was kind of scared of as a kid because I grew up on 10 acres. Yeah. My first job was boarding horses. As I, I kind of like onto a was cruise ship. Or what does that mean? Like, no. <laughs> all aboard. <laughs> uh, basically, we had ten acres of um, pasture. My mom and I built uh, fencing all around the pasture, and she used to ride horses and do equestrian oh, cool. like competitions. And so she knew a ton about it, and she helped me kind of learn how to take care of horses. And so that's what I did as a kid. So going into the city, it was like foreign to me. Even Bellingham was like, since I grew up outside of Bellingham, was kind of a bigger place. So a bunch of my friends moved down to Seattle and I always had this kind of thing against big cities because I thought it would change people. Yeah. And you know, what I didn't realize is that people change just in general, whether they go to the big city or not. And now that I'm like in the city and have been for the last 12 years, I've actually, I've fallen in love with it. And it's almost like, I don't, I don't know how I could live anywhere else besides Seattle. Do you think... Your extreme sort of like, Ugh, like the arm's <laughs> length made you embrace it even harder when you got here? Yeah. Well, it took me a little bit of time. I actually lived in Bellevue the first year. I know. Was... Wow. I'm, I just instantly got judged. Anybody that's <laughs> listening to this. But uh, it was for a job. I got a job as an office manager and then worked my way into like an analyst role. And it was based in Bellevue. So it was like a no-brainer to live over there. But then I, I, I eventually got a job or got a job over here, but moved over here before that because I was like, I don't want to live in Bellevue anymore. Yeah, it's so. uh, it's tough, man. Like the some of the beauty of here is being able to just walk over to the coffee shop or something like that. Yeah, and yeah, I mean, there's great people in Bellevue, but I think a lot of the people I, I just have a lot more in common with here in Seattle. All right. Um, so now you're here and you're a part of the very like music environment that continues to produce the sounds of people that are hard at work over a dark, wet winter. <laughs> so like... Other than damp, how does it feel as you carve out your own little piece of Seattle music history here? Oh man, I don't really feel like I've I'm carving out any history. I, I, I gosh, it feels it feels like I'm always on the outside looking in. To be honest, I I know that um, people have said I've read you know I read interviews about me just because I'm always curious what people say and um, how they define my music and who, and who I am in comparison to the rest of the city and, and whatnot. But, you know, people say that like, I have this community around me, but sometimes I just feel like such an outsider. I don't know why. I don't know what it is. I think just, uh, it's just the nature of our culture, you know, especially social media, I think is a big, you know, a big reason for that. But you're always looking at what everybody else is doing and thinking, well, I'm not doing that. And so it's hard to, it's hard to remember that you've got this community of people around you and it's not just me. It's for everybody out there who's listening to, I think it's, I think it's really important to remember that because that can really bring you down. If you forget, uh, if you forget those important people in your life, I'm kind of going on a diatribe here. Sorry. No, it's good. <laughs> man. That's what we want. You spent a year just working on writing this album, mm -hmm. getting out there, touring, playing, performing as much as possible. Yeah. How does that affect your connection with the city? Because totally, I can imagine when you don't go to work every day and you don't see that, you know, hey, good morning, Bob. Like uh, <laughs> when you don't have that, yeah, <laughs> good morning, Bob. You know, it's kind of <laughs> it's 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 actually been one of the most challenging things in my life, um, and also one of the most rewarding things. Getting getting to leave the safety net of that four hundred one k and the health savings plan. Um, and that community and that infrastructure of having like a free computer and all of this, you know, this stuff you can go to 
juices in the fridge whenever you want. You know, like oh, what? Yeah, just Project Line was amazing. Or there was a company I worked at. Um, everything was there for me. It was, and it was awesome to have a, a consistent paycheck. But getting to express what I'm going through to connect with people on a different, a totally cerebral level, and getting to fulfill kind of my dreams of getting getting to be a songwriter, write songs, both for myself and for other people, other artists and, and TV and film. And also, it's been a dream come true. It's absolutely frightening sometimes to go, well, what am I doing? Or like, wh- how am I going to, you know, make rent next month or whatever it is. But it's also amazing when you get these emails from friends and fans that say, I love this song. This totally changed me. I love that song that you wrote that isn't yours called Halo by Beyonce for Grey's Anatomy. You know, like random stuff like that, which is silly. It's absolutely silly. I'm writing for a TV show. But the song's actually affecting somebody very like at their core. And you go, well, shoot, that's why I'm really doing it. You know, that's what that's why we're here. Is there any difference when you approach a song like that? I mean, are you... Um, you're setting out to like I'm gonna write a song for television now. <laughs> yeah. yeah, sometimes actually. I just wrote um I was just co writing in January down in LA and uh I've got a I know a music supervisor at NBC and they said, Hey, I want you to write for the Olympics. And I was like, uh, okay, <laughs> consider it done. So I actually went into a room with another writer who co wrote co writes for CBS, um did some co writing for CBS stuff, um, and he got placed on their one of their big like promos and so we wrote two songs actually in a day which is unheard of for me i'm such a slow writer and it ended up being like uh, um we're not sure if it's even gonna get placed that's that's kind of the the wild card you know you're always just like i don't know if it's gonna get placed but and it ended up being like this really awesome song but like something you hear in the background with like they're like flying over buenos aires and this big promo shot and it's like oh oh," you know like that's the kind of stuff we're writing for that particular thing, whereas Grey's Anatomy is a totally different vibe. It's more singer songwriter It's more emotive and more intimate. This and is Seattle. Seattle. Yeah. So it's 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 fun because you're not always writing for the same stuff. What's that process like? I can't even imagine when oh, they yeah. say, "Come on out to L.A. and we're going to have you work on the Olympics." Sit yeah, down I mean, with this person you don't know and get to work. It's a, it's actually a lot of hustle because, um, like. I, I have to book the flights. I have to pay for my accommodations and I go down and then my publishers say, okay, who, this is who you're writing with this week. And, um, I'm like, well, what am I writing for? And sometimes they don't have anything. They're like, just go write with this person. And so I'm doing a little bit of the hustle to go, Hey, to this guy at NBC, like, Hey, what if I wrote a song for the Olympics? And he goes, yeah, I'd love that. And you, you're like, okay, whew, all right, I've got something, you know? So it's, it's actually, sometimes you're just writing to write. And that's, that's actually when some of the best songs come out. I've got, I'll show you some later, Okay. Um, but there's a couple guys in Nashville I've written with, um, Casey Musgraves, guitar player, Kyle Neal, uh, Kyle Ryan, not Kyle Neal, is insane. He's amazing. Would a future of doing that type of work be one that would satisfy the dreams that you came up with? That's what I'm still trying to figure out, Gregor. <laughs> it's, a great, it's a great question. I don't, I, I, my girlfriend Alex was asking me about that. She's like, what about just doing songwriting? Seems like you're good at that. Seems like it's working. Um, and I I really love performing, but I'm also getting kind of old. So, <laughs> I, you know, I don't know if, if like a career in just as a touring artist is really, um, really going to work for me. So I think doing both right now is what I, what I want to continue doing. Well, does the, does the 
those do those gigs take the pressure off of you as a performer then to like if you're making money doing songwriting for other people can you does it free you up to be able to do what you the, the way you want to do it yeah i think it will I, I i guess i'm just not making enough yet for it to free things up but i think it, i think that's the goal yeah and i think it would if i were making a little bit more money doing it does that ever mean leave seattle move to la or new york uh, yeah i get that all the time seriously like everybody who's i talk with this career stuff about they're like where well, are you gonna are you gonna move to la and I know people have done it recently. Uh, Hollis is kind of between LA and Seattle and uh, Susie Sons down there now and some other folks. And it's like, I just love that they're doing that. I think that's really smart because there's a lot of opportunities in LA. But my family's up here. And for me, um, I'm, you know, I'm ready to also enter that next chapter of my life, I think soon, to have kids and to be um, a little bit more settled and I still want to tour and I still want to do that. But I think the hustle of L.A., I can hustle up here and I have my management down there and my publishing down there and my team's down there. And that's half the battle. So I still think while I'll miss some opportunities, I know that and I'm OK with that. I've kind of come to terms with that. Alex and I still talk about maybe moving to L.A. someday, but it's just not it's not important to me right now. I, I'd rather be up here with family. And stuff. The nice thing is, is that they're both equally unattainably expensive. So <laughs> either way, you're screwed. Seriously, absolutely, man. As an artist, it, living in Seattle has gotten really hard. So back to the carving out your own piece of uh, Seattle history here. I know that you. That it must be uncomfortable to think that way about <laughs> the thing about about yourself in that way. But one of the projects that <clears throat> that I find so fascinating. Uh, I, I hope it'll be part of your legacy, specifically oh, yeah. those, uh, the tower sessions way up high at the very tip top, the pointy part of the Smith Tower. Describe what you've created there, how you made that relationship, and how you got it, how you got it going. Yeah, that's actually uh, such a great point. Thank you for bringing that up. Yeah, um, that does feel like well, the Smith Tower or the tower sessions, as we're kind of referring to them, is kind of part of my legacy in my mind for when I'm when I'm leaving with Seattle um th with that moment in time I guess of basically it's 12 shows uh over 12 months we're about halfway through right now and each show I play a different I play just a unique show and I guess every show's different right but I try to play different songs I try to songs that I've been co-writing I'll, I'll bring a couple of those sometimes and play them at the show um for in February we actually did a double header where we played the full album, Stripped Down, um, both nights, and that was so special. Um, my buddy Gregor came to one of them, and uh, I tried to convince him to dance around in a banana hammock, but he wouldn't do it. It was a bummer. That was a uh, Rumor on the street was it's not bikini season yet. <laughs> Back off. <laughs> Back off. Um, but I think the other special part about it, and, and I'll get into a little bit more about the room and the space, but... Um, is getting to bring in a special guest artist every month, um, and that was. And I'll tell you more about how it came about too. But um, it's been really cool to get my friends who I love their music. I love who they are. They're career artists. They're trying to do this for a living, like I am. And I get how important it is to have exposure and to make money and to do something unique. And so to give them that opportunity feels like a real gift to be able to give that opportunity. Um, I met this woman named Petra Franklin when I was walking up 
the Smith Tower stairs. I was working in the Smith Tower. Oh, cool. As a consultant um, at Project Line, um, which is now also Yesler. Um, they do uh, marketing stuff. I'll just say that. Um, but Petra lives at the top of the Smith Tower with her two daughters. Yeah, there's an apartment up there full yeah. of secret passages yeah. and weird <laughs> things up there. And yeah. there's just a human that lives up there with kids. It's like a museum. Everything is a piece of art. It's insane. I mean, you you experienced it. Yeah. You know what it's like? It's like you kind of, wherever you look, there's like, oh, this is from the Emperor of China. Or, you know, like, because or this people, is Chihuly's, like this huge glass Chihuly in the middle of the room. Because everybody's fascinated by someone living in the tip top of a tower. It's like a, that's where princesses live or ogres or something like that or dragons, <laughs> you know? that's There's like a, there's a history of mythology that revolves around that idea. And here's this nice woman with her children. Totally. And she, I mean, she's an amazing woman. She's really... She's really progressive. She's really smart. She's inspirational. And so I've learned a lot from her in the process of working together. But, uh, you know, uh, two or three years ago, I, um, I saw her in the, in, the, in the stairs. She walks this whole stairs every day, uh, 40 flights or something like that. Um, she's, she's her way of, like, working out. And I think her way of just connecting with the building, too. She's really a huge, huge fan of the building. Of course. Why not? Um, well, so, look, I mean, it's to be fair, it's like a... It it feels like it's a window back in time. Like there's a it's, yeah. like a, it's a portal to when buildings were done differently. It's there's a there's an elevator man and there's a and th- there's something creaky about it. And yeah. there's like it's like just got this like and it's, it's the end of an era. Yeah, it's like everything that it's like it was the tallest building west of the Mississippi until 1969 when they, um, um, I guess created the Space Needle, um, but but everything is restored to when it was first built. So it's like these, like gold plated like walls and like uh it just feels incredible marble stone every yeah it's cool it's really beautiful but she said i was talking to her in the stairwell when i first met her and we i was like oh you know this person oh i know this person oh cool do you like music and she's like yeah i was like why don't you come to the show box we're releasing our our new album believer <laughs> um up there sorry believer sorry thank, I keep thank you for that that, that made my day <laughs> And um, she said, yeah, I'll come. And she came and she kind of, I think, fell in love with my music a little bit that day. Um, And it was kind of a blessing because I said, hey, well, well," she asked me, she's like, you want to come play a show in my house? And I was like, what? What? (laughs) And so uh, we we did one of those shows and then I asked her if I could do another one. And we did another one maybe six, 12 months later. And then I said, hey, I'm quitting my job to play music full time. And I'm kind of wanting to do something really special, something really stripped down. You know, my music can be very intimate and very, um, it feel, I, to me, I want it to be as real as possible. I want people to think they're, it's almost like they're listening to a, a friend tell their, their secrets or their stories. And there's no real place like the Smith Tower, this little pyramid-shaped, like, room that's so intimate up in the clouds. Like, you know, there's there's... It take you take all the barriers away, and it's just you and this other person. Basically, is what it feels like when they're when they're there singing, and that's what I want my music to feel like. Let's do that for twelve months. What do you think? And she said, "Let me think about it." And then six months later, she said, "Yes." Wow. So, well, that's a lot. That's a yeah. I thought it was over. I thought it wasn't going to happen. But she was just so busy with this uh, new business she was working on that she finally oh. By the way, yeah, let's do it, kind of thing. <laughs> it was really interesting, myself included, but to see everyone get up there, it was like taking children to see their first giraffe. Totally. 
it like everyone no matter old and young were like looking out the windows and trying to sneak a quick selfie or something like that and you actually go up these like metal steep stairs when you get into the proper apartment loft you're, itself you're exhausted and, by the time you get up and you can go into the very very oh, yeah. tip top of the place and the like globes. yeah the globe at the top now I wonder if you've ever taken, uh, I mean, you have to go up this steep ladder and it's a tiny space. You have to like squeeze your shoulders through and stuff. You ever taken a guitar up there and made noise up in that? I haven't. I, I've wanted to, but it's just like so, I can barely get my body through. <laughs> so uh, I freaked I'm always out. nervous. Yeah, I freaked out when I went up there. I got up there and I was like, nope, like I'm not doing this. I'll, I'm going back down. Like there's yeah. no way. I'm not getting stuck Alex at the top of too. a building. If it was just me over there hanging out, I would do it and just get stuck and that's fine. And like we could have a freak out <laughs> moment. But there was like 50 people that I respect all below me and me being like, ah, help, would be like the worst possible outcome ever. Okay. Yeah, that would have been brutal. There, we, like every show almost when the music starts somebody's still up there and they're like making noise as they come down and it's like in the middle of like this really intimate <laughs> we me and Petra just shake our heads and some people are just so annoyed but it's you know it's like I get it I get why people want to go up to the globe it's pretty insane yeah it's, so, it's part of the charm like just yeah. being up there it's really and it's I shouldn't be at a loss for words because that's my job but it really is <laughs> like that where you just don't know what to say about that all right so you spent a year not only um, full-time musician. I was going to say unemployed, but as a full-time <laughs> musician. <clears throat> but then you also produce something out of all that effort. I'm holding in my hands a very black and white, I said that the description of color uh, on it, uh, new album, Often in the Pause. Yeah. I got an autograph copy. Ooh. Um, let's, let's talk about this record. Uh, yeah. This is a new joint you got going on. How did you approach this one differently than Believer? Yeah, so... Uh, when I first was thinking about leaving my job, it was really hard because I was like pretty comfortable, but I really wanted to like just do music and I'd been wanting to do it for a long time. And so I, I was really conflicted about how to do it and when to do it. And throughout that six months or so, I wrote the song called Falling Apart, which is one of the, I think in my mind, one of the singles, yeah. quote unquote on there. And it was the first song I wrote for the album and it really... Um, it was kind of a, um, I think, set the the tone for what the album would be like. The rest of the album would kind of speak to, um, in my mind, just transition. I think um, all the guys, all of us guys, were going through transitions, various transitions, um, whether it was relationships, jobs, um, you know, figuring out what's next in life, uh, and so. This was kind of why it's called Often the Pause. The last song on the record is called Together. And um, one of the lines is, the magic I remember was always in the pause. I changed it from always to often because I thought that was a little bit too grandiose of an idea. <laughs> sure. But um, but it's that, it's that experience of that yeah. like in-between things you find, like uh, in-between breaths or in-between... Yeah, in-between the moments. Yeah, that's where like there's this like little bit of magic that sparkles or whatever. Yeah. yeah. And that's when those, I guess, like those big those big uh, epiphanies happen too. It's, yeah. it's when you're bored or when you're like thinking or when you have a moment to stop, you know, that pause. Yeah. That's, I think, when a lot of the magic happens. Also with music, the it's not the notes themselves, it's the intervals between them and stuff. Yeah. I, think, I think that there's like a big part of that too. It's the space in between the things that makes you appreciate the difference in the things or something. And That's how I hear that at least. Yeah, there's moments when there's no when there's no lyrics, when there's just kind of, different things sparkling and happening too and i think that's i think it's really cool how it all worked out some of it was planned some of it wasn't now so. 
Now, you had time to just, I mean, I know you're a busy guy, but you had time on this one rather than nights and weekends to mm-hmm. write these songs to sit down all day after eating a, bo- a bowl of Cinnamon Trost Crunch or whatever. You could sit down and make a song. <laughs> What's the adjustment like going from that and like not just having your free moments and concentrating full time? Oh, man, it's it's like night and day. There were a lot of firsts on this album. And one of the first was co-writing with other people. There's some songs on here that are co-written by other people. Cool. Another was, like you said, getting to actually sit down and spend a day or two days or three days, as much time as I wanted on these songs. I, I, um, I actually wrote both co-writes and non-co-writes about 28 songs oh, wow. for this album. And then went through the songs with all the guys and said, hey, which ones are we going to do? Um, so that, that it was really a band process instead of just me kind of saying, this is what we're going to do, guys. But I mean, it's so, your name. Yeah, it is. But um, I, f- I, think it's, um, I think it's important for people that are investing time in you to have a say and feel empowered and to like make decisions and make it their own as well, to like, kind of feel invested. And if they didn't really have much of a say in the songs, I, I don't feel like uh, either of us, me or the other guys, would have felt like they were invested what, so, if, what if they had to give up to to do this with you? Uh, birthday parties, um, soccer teams, uh, like, um, the, and they've also had to give up showers sometimes on the road. Like, <laughs> it's been, it's been, it's definitely a, a huge commitment. Um, yeah, it's it's tough because one of the guys is actually going to be leaving the band um, after this tour, after this, after we release the record at the Croc, just because. Um, you know, he's kind of burned out from touring. He's been doing it for 15 years and, um, he's like a pretty close friend. So it's hard to see that, but I also get it, you know, cause this, when you do music, you don't, you can't really do too much else. Um, and trying to do anything else as you, it's hard. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So, man, that's crazy. Tell me about the, um, the art choices on this. I can't, yeah. This, the cover reminds me of this racetrack in France <laughs> and I have a feeling that's not what it is. <laughs> so um it's uh it's black and white with it's a black cover looks like with a bunch of white stripes on it and i am assume yeah. it's not a, a, a nod to jack white and meg <laughs> no um it's actually um reminds me of like an elliot smith cover a little bit the figure eight kind of thing vibe. Yeah, okay. but but it's um it's it was it was created kind of to reflect the idea of often in the pause you know like the the moments in between the, the space there um, but it's it wasn't created by me. It was created by a guy named Derek Vandergreen, Vandergrind, uh, here in Seattle. He he does design work at Wexley, but um, I was referred to him by a guy from Hum Creative called Andrew Harris, and I just love this album artwork. There was he gave us like three or four different choices, and we all unanimously chose this one. Yeah, cool. It's just it's really beautiful, and it's kind of lets you. It kind of is the epitome of. A transition in my mind you know like seeing seeing a transition if it was visual you know so now i love when this question is asked because it's rude and i'm going to ask it anyway <laughs> you've got this record sitting in here sitting here in front of me how many more you got in you full records like this oh yeah that's a i don't think that's rude i think that's interesting i mean we haven't even gotten through this one is my point i haven't even <laughs> given this one a chance to do anything and i'm like you got any more <laughs> i mean i haven't really been writing a bunch um because i've just been so busy and i've kind of been letting things store up a little bit. I, I did, took a writing trip to LA in January um, and wrote a couple songs there. That was the Olympics and some other stuff. But, sure. Um, I'm just about to start writing again and that would be next week in Nashville and then 
um, over the summer. I'm going to try to write the next album. Oh, that's right. You were saying that uh, you're going to a writing camp. Is it like, yeah. do you sleep in bunks? And I don't know. I've never go swimming in the daytime? <laughs> yeah. It was poison po- poison that's ivy? It. That's it, exactly, actually. Campfires and banjos <laughs> and stuff? Yeah, I mean, I, I've never been to a writing camp. I've, it's like a huge opportunity for me because um, you're in the room with like other professional writers that have had great placements and they know what they're doing. And that's when some of the big songs can sometimes come out songs that maybe get picked up by a major artist or t- TV and film placement. And so it's going to be a big opportunity for me to un- kind of learn from other writers and um, actually pump out a ton of songs in a short amount of time. So Now, um, last time you were here, I know you were stoked because Chowder, uh, my dog, uh, I know. was here. And she um, she couldn't be here, so I, I, I represent her in this cardboard oh, form. Oh, my gosh. So we'll have to get a picture of you with, oh, with that little is... Chowder. That's little, amazing. Little That's dog head. Definitely happening. <laughs> this sits in my office, and I was like, well, Chowder couldn't come in today, so what am I going to do? <laughs> oh, my gosh. Chris, that is a huge head. I know, right? I carried it around <laughs> at, uh, at one of our concerts and like did that from everywhere I could to try and get people to have fun and goof off of it. So, How's Chowder doing? Like, what? She's, a, she's a mighty 10 years old. She's a, she's getting up there, but she's just as feisty as ever. Is, when's she back from Guam? Oh, uh, yeah. She's on a charity trip to Guam right now. It's... Uh, I, I think it might be a tax shelter. I don't know. <laughs> oh, my gosh. You never know what Chowder's doing, all right? Although she matches the album cover that you got here, the little black and white dog. I think there's a there's a photo opportunity here uh, that I'm going to have to absolutely. create. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Chowder, Chowder's doing great. Um, okay, so you this this is out on the 6th of May, and then you hit the road running with it? Yeah. Um, we're actually going to... We're actually playing just a few shows around town, and then in the fall we're going to hit a West Co- the West Coast and do a lot more touring, I think, in the fall some festivals and stuff like that. Are you giving yourself some time off before you go into the fall to um, to tour and everything? Is that by design? Yeah, um, it's partially by design. We actually parted ways with our booking agent uh, last year, and yeah. we've just been... Um, it's hard to get an agent right now because there's so many bands, but also because um, we don't have a new record out. You know, sure. 2014 or 15 was our last album. or And so it's because it's been a while, um, we needed to have a little bit more going on. And so... We'll probably pick up an agent in the fall after we book our West Coast tour and then kind of start touring a lot more again. Oh, my God. Well, best of luck, man. It sounds like it's going to be a fun next six months or so. Yeah, it's going to be a blast. I can't wait. You've been listening to So You're in Seattle with Gregor. Follow him on Twitter at Gregor1077 and find more episodes online at 1077theend.com. So You're in Seattle is a burrito butt production. Yeah, you're a good dog chowder. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.